And we're here. Hello. Hello. La, la, la. Welcome all. It is Wednesday night, Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And yeah, you're not in the brightest of spirits. Who could be on a day like today, right? Why? Did you know that today is actually... I don't know why you're saying that. I don't feel unbright. Well, today is actually... Uh, Clean Air Day. Oh, well, we don't have that. The irony of having it happen on a day like today, I would say, is kind of significant, wouldn't you? Well, to me, every day is sort of just some days we hear about it because it's just something that makes the news. But I don't know. I just generally assume we don't have clean air anymore. No, but I think that it's becoming more and more obvious by the day to whomever is actually paying attention. We realize that, yeah, things are getting really, really bad out there. And... The idea that the entire Northeast is basically covered in what looks like an apocalyptic, uh, you know, war zone, if you will. And we talk all the time about how there really is a related component when it comes to climate change. Uh, It's pretty obvious when you talk about the, you know, the drying of the soil, which the hotter temperatures, apparently there's been record temperatures like I know there's Canadian fires, but I don't, I haven't, I don't see like, what do they know? What, what's the source of it all? I mean, have they, do we know that? Good evening, Teresa. Uh, Well, the source of the fires, I was able to read up on it a little earlier. It, it turns out that a lot of what was happening um, with these fires, it, it was, uh, most well, it looks the, like New York has got the worst. Apparently that yeah. they had the worst air quality. Um, I don't know, was it yesterday or today? I mean, apparently New York is getting <clears throat> hit pretty hard with it, but it's the Northeast. It's a chunk of areas. Um, but yeah, I wasn't even aware of it until you said, oh, there's fire, there's wildfires. But I always assume there's wildfire somewhere. They're saying that a part, a big part of it was just the fact that it was a terrible heat wave and that that in conjunction with human activity and there apparently were some lightning storms which touched off one which touched off many which ultimately led to up to 400 wildfires across north america being set and but they, so far we're talking it's all in canada at this point is that what we're talking about other than whatever's going on in California. the united states but i know that our friends who are here this evening uh definitely have seen the smoke up close and personal and can definitely speak to just how bad this really is. Uh, but certainly over, you know, the metropolitan area of New York City and I believe Washington, D.C. is where it really has settled um, to extremely unhealthy levels where you're being advised to, you know, shutter indoors, like do not go outside. Although apparently a lot of people didn't either get that memo or simply didn't care. They're like, well, we're just going to live our lives. Um, there's a lot of irony there with those major cities, considering what transpired over the past. But the truth years. is, a lot of those major cities are used to their cities being kind of stinky. Like, I, I'm sorry, when you live in a vertical place, it gets stinky. And every time, and I don't care how clean your city is. I, I just, I'm, I'm not a fan of people living on top of each other. It's just not my thing. And people that, when you have too many people in a small space. It gets stinky. Yeah, it well, just does. I'm not gonna. There's no justification as to why we can't take. Unfortunately, we take moments like this, and we think, all right, are we really going to get our act together now on the climate? Well, no. 
Probably not, but no. that doesn't mean we don't have to try our damn best to make sure that it does happen. So. Well, we it'll it won't happen because of the power of the fossil fuel industry. The same way that they're never going to get their gun control because of the power of the gun lobby and the MIC. So it's the same thing. We're gonna just like so shooting a class up of first graders doesn't make them do gun control any more than houses burning down is going to make them care about the environment. We also couldn't have picked a better time to have Zena come on again because obviously the what is going to be something they're going to attempt to really sweep under the rug, especially in light of what just happened now with the wildfires, is the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which is going to bring immense amount of devastation to the Appalachian region of this country. I saw our friend Riley show up at that mansion uh, event. Yeah. Oh, Joe just simply couldn't take the heat. But we are very pleased to have two wonderful guests this evening. You'll eventually, uh, you know, what's the, I'm trying to think of the right word. Uh, not demise. Uh, it'll come back to me. But you'll eventually figure out why these two guests are here this evening. We're going to have a lot of different things to talk about, and we are very pleased to welcome back two wonderful people that have been great supporters of Jen and great supporters of the progressive movement. First and foremost, she is somebody who has been involved with a number of efforts outside of the two-party system to really build the progressive movement However, many trials and tribulations we must go through to get there. We know we can count on this wonderful lady to continue fighting the good fight. Zaina Day, welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, Zaina. Zaina. How are you all doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. Are you, you're in DC or you in here for some reason? (laughs) Wait, you, where are you now? You moved, you moved, right? Like you're not in, you're not, you were in, West Virginia, right? Were you somewhere in the middle of like nowhere? I was in southeastern Kentucky and I recently okay. moved up north okay. to uh, to Louisville. Okay. So you went, all right. So I, I'm right that you were like in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. In the, in the heart of Appalachia. I love it there. I love it there. Yeah. But, uh, we moved up here for uh, Lydia schooling and, you know, just for uh, better work opportunities and stuff. Yeah. You know, it's really? sad. I hated having to leave the region for that purpose but it it is what you gotta do what you gotta do louisville's nice louisville's a nice city it It really is i i love louisville too i like it as well yeah well the funny thing is is that i've never really spent any time in louisville but i'm very familiar with new albany and right yes because when i worked for the indiana chamber of commerce we would drive to all different publications and one of the publications was the new Albany. i don't remember whether they were a gazette or whatever they were but i remember going down there to meet with them and i'm like oh look there's louisville across the river and i thought it was so pretty there and uh, but i didn't have time to go do anything but i know the area is really beautiful yeah i actually live in jeffersonville so it's right on the other side of the river and it's right next to new albany (laughs) yes (laughs) i know Well, without further ado, we also want to welcome in our other wonderful guest. She is somebody who is not only an amazing activist and did a tremendous amount of work as a volunteer trying to bring the People's Party to legitimacy, but also somebody who I consider to be a very good friend, personally has helped me tremendously with my small business, and it's just an overall really amazing badass of a person. And without further ado, Renee Johnston, welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, sorry that there's no... uh I can't get my video to work and, you know, it's just your voice. That's okay. Yeah. 
I'm not like a real podcaster, so I don't have a computer or a mic or anything like that. Well, we'll, blame, like, it, we'll blame it on the we'll blame it on the smog. I, I think right. that, you know, <laughs> say that right now, you can't even see. You can't it. see. We're just going to pretend that. Renee, how so. bad is it? How bad is it where you are in New Jersey? It, it it's actually pretty bad. Um, you can see you can see the the smoke as you like walk in the street. You can smell it when you're walking. The I work in a school and it's an old building, so people don't have air conditioners. They have to keep the windows open. So oh, there were God. pictures of students sitting, like literally sitting in smog in the classroom today. It was not it was not a good situation actually. What could go um, wrong? Right, exactly, exactly. So yeah. Um, oh, is it, it that it, bad it everywhere from awful. Canada there? Is it like that? It's worse. Like, it's worse yeah. the further north you go. So my mother is actually, my mother retired to upstate New York and my stepdad is up there. And um, he, there's like ash. Like it's it's bad. It's bad up there. Uh, so. I, I don't even know what, what what would they do for this? Like, I don't even know what, what does one do I don't, about that. I don't think there's anything that I you think you have to wait for the, the fires to go out, for them to get the fire out. And then or, and then the smoke will lift. Well, based on everything that I'm reading, it looks like, uh, you know, this was started in conjunction with the fact that Canada has been experiencing an exceptional amount of a high heat index. We're seeing yeah. that in a lot of different places. Uh for those people who are still in denial about climate change, what ends up happening is when it becomes too hot and it doesn't cool down enough, the moisture in the soil ends up drying out. Hence, it becomes much, much easier for fires to spread. And so right. when the fires ultimately spread as a result of increased wind, and then, of course, you have lightning uh, when it comes to any type of storms, factor in, obviously, uh, the human activity that comes with climate change. You get what you get, and this is really bad, and it's going to take quite a while to not only put the fires out, but for the smog to eventually dissipate from any of these major cities. They say per day, depending on how often you're outside, it's the equivalent of smoking about a half a pack of cigarettes. So then the question becomes, given our wonderful, um, the availability of healthcare to all of our people, um, how easy it's going to be for people that have negative effects from all of this, and especially people that have pre-existing conditions like asthma or whatever people have, they we're going to have a serious increase in issues from people dealing with this, and yet we have no healthcare. Mm. We have no You're way. asking for too much. Don't I know, you know being that? greedy. But I got way. a better idea. Why don't we give you the Mountain Valley Pipeline? That I think is a great idea. That's exactly what we need. All right. So, Zaina, that's going right near you, right? Like, I mean, what's the I, – I, first of all, and I said this the other day, for the life of me, I do not understand how something like that is related to the debt ceiling. And it isn't. And how we know that, oh, we'll just shove that in there because they're desperate enough to pass whatever we're going to pass. So we'll just shove in something nobody wants – Clearly, right. but it's so illogical. It has nothing to do with anything. It's definitely going to break. I mean, talk about like what you're hearing over there from people. I mean, there's got to be people very concerned about this. There's, you know, we haven't seen it yet. So we're not really sure what it's going to look like, you know, when it reaches here. There are people that are concerned. Um, we've had some we've had fires and smoke before in our area. Um, it's been a few years. I mean, that that happened years ago, but nothing quite of this magnitude in a long time and nothing quite like this, where it's coming all the way from Canada down. Um, mm -hmm. It's really unclear what's going to happen. Um, I'm sure that similar to what it is in New York, you know, um, and all over this country, there's people with emphysema, asthma. There's people that are still 
you know, dealing with long COVID and having lung issues. Um, so that, that, I mean, just for me, and I, I've seen medical experts, you know, tweeting about it, telling people wear masks, you know, try to ventilate, stay indoors. Um, I worry about having facilities and structures in place to help people. Um, That's the thing. Health problems. Yeah. What, what, I mean, well, let's talk about the majority of them don't even have healthcare. So that, yeah. that right there is, is, is a problem. But I was talking more about the pipeline through where you are. Like, well, oh, you know, yeah. I know how much negative attention it's getting from obviously our side of things, right? Like, but I, what are people who live there? Like, I know there's also a contingency of people that like it for the job prospect, or at least they're sold that line, right? Like that that's a Some good thing. people are, but we've had enough pollution and destruction and mountaintop removal and people have been demanding jobs outside of the coal and energy sector for so long that actually most West Virginians and Kentuckians have been fighting against the Mountain Valley Pipeline. And in fact, one many cases, um, the Appalachian Alliance Project, for, for instance, and others have won um, cases against it. And, you know, that's tied to the Willow Project. So... Um, as far as that goes, um, what Biden has done is actually essentially kind of roll back everything that we've been fighting against and that these act that those activists have been working so hard to prevent. I mean, some of the things that, you know, they were able to stall it with was the Clean Water Act, um, clean water ordinances in their um districts or counties, um, their regions, but it looks like now it's going to roll forward despite those holdups. It's going to be a disaster. Hear me now, quote me later. It's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a disaster. It's already poisoned from coal. It's already poisoned from fracking and runoff. Yeah, we this is this is worse. water in the country, and a lot of people rely on well water. What's this going to do? Oh, know, to those people. I, basically, to me, this is like a genocide. This is environmental genocide, and the poor people, like people in Appalachia, are always the people that get it first. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, because this wouldn't be running through a wealthy area. The wealthy people wouldn't tolerate that. So, if this is going through, it's going through the poor people's area. And I do think exactly. that this is, yeah, and I do think that this is becoming a lot more to the surface now uh, because of the fact that Biden is a very vulnerable uh, incumbent president, uh, probably as vulnerable as an incumbent president has been since Jimmy Carter. And that he can't win again. And they're going to I don't know what they're you know trying to sell at this point, um, but he's really uh he has so much an opportunity as commander in chief to really deal with this from an executive authority position. And I'm curious from your guys's perspective, why you think he's, I mean, listen, it's pretty obvious why he's not, but I'm trying to rack my brain around this idea that maybe he will eventually try to do something in light of all of these catastrophes that just seem to be popping up at every moment of every day, but it just seems to be getting worse and worse. And yet all we keep on hearing is from these loyal Democratic Party sycophants trying to convince us that Joe is actually doing a good job. And they're showing us these things that have absolutely no bearing whatsoever on what the average day to day person has to deal with. You can feel it in the air. You feel it, you know, with just people that you talk to on a daily basis. We are hurting. 
And in light of what has happened with this debt ceiling nonsense, you add in this, it, it's just getting worse and worse. Renee, your thoughts? Honestly, I just, somebody said it in the comments and they're right. Like, they don't care about us. <laughs> like, they yeah. don't care if we're choking. They don't care if we're dying. They don't care if they're polluting the, the water and the air and the ground. Um, they just want anybody to shut up and go back to work and make sure that they're feeding the capitalist system and, and you know, letting, letting, letting it all just go. They really don't care. And it's, it's a little absurd when you think about how did, how did all these companies and corporations and like, how do they think they're going to function when they kill off all the workers and all the people that are buying this stuff? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't really understand what the plan is here. Like you're just going to get rid of everybody. And then what happens at that point when you don't have anyone left to purchase the things that you're making off all the poor people, but not paying them to something happened off all the people. You're also going to have anybody to take care of. You don't have anybody to buy from. You don't have it. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that this is probably a good transition to, you know, obviously what's happened in the past two days. You know, we've tried relentlessly, whether at the local level with Jen running against Wasserman Schultz or at the federal level to try to get Bernie Sanders elected twice to the presidency through the Democratic Party apparatus, which is basically admittedly at this point, just a party that admits that, yeah, we rigged the process and that's just the way it is. So attempting to do something outside of that is equally as difficult. But it seems that one of the biggest problems that we have in the populist left circles is there's a bit there's a lot of ego problems. Uh, people <laughs> recognizing that it truly you is think? a matter. Of, yeah, <laughs> oh, we can't get out of our own way. Yeah, just can't. Unbelievable. <laughs> and when Jen, you always like to talk about you know the importance of the collective. I would think here when it comes to building a true populist left movement, that's probably as important as anything. And I think that's something that gets lost uh, on site with a lot of people because I personally do think that Dr. West would make a fantastic presidential candidate, but the choices that he has already made right out of the box leads me to believe that we're just continuing down this road of not really knowing what we're doing. Uh, yeah, how do you guys feel about that? Because like for me, and like I'm a huge fan of Cornell West. Like I like silly fan, like met him, was an idiot. Everybody knows the story. I can't like, I'm scared to even have him on a show. Cause I'll be an idiot again. But like, um, this is very upsetting to me when it should be in fact, really exciting for me. So I, I mean, how do you guys feel about this? Since you were both affiliated with the people's party and have very strong opinions as to its lack of effectiveness and a lot of issues with it. Like, Obviously, this is a good candidate. So what are your thoughts on that? So we'll we'll agree to disagree on how great of a candidate he actually is. Okay, okay. (laughs) Just because some of the things that I'm hearing are not really things that I I personally would align with. Um, But that's me personally. It doesn't mean that 
for the majority of the country, maybe it would work, you know, um, so I can concede that my specific opinion and what is most important to me doesn't naturally match what everyone else in the country would be typically looking for. Okay. That said, what bothers me the most is this alignment with a group that literally serves no purpose. So for me, if you say, okay, I'm going to run for president and I'm running for president because I'm about justice and change and whatever else he said in, in, in his little spiel, I feel like that would come one after you've actually filed to run for president, which to my knowledge has not happened yet. It would two come with an announcement that you're running. If you're, if you're going to run with a party, that it would be an actual party, not a 5-0, not a nonprofit that is actually working as a PAC in most places and has no ballot access. Um, and that it wouldn't be with an organization that has failed so miserably over the past seven years to accomplish any goal that it had set forth for itself or anyone that was giving donations and following it, that it could actually pro provide some some method for you to actually serve a purpose running for a seat such as the presidency. It just doesn't make sense. So I hear you, you. you know, when you consider that that doesn't make sense, anyone who would say, oh, I think he would be a great candidate. You have to step back a little bit and say, if someone is willing to step out there and do all of this under the umbrella in the tent, of an organization that literally cannot serve the purpose for which you need them to serve the purpose, is this someone that you want to trust running the country? Because you can't even make a reasonable decision with who you're doing it with. No, those are valid points, which then brings me to the, is it more for him just about rallying up uh, a movement more so than thinking, oh, I'm going to win? And, and what can I do to help propel these ideas, these, you know, policies forward and go and make them more popular. I think that's more of it. But I agree with you. Zaina, what do you think? I think Renee made really good points. Um, for me, when I look at it, I do look at, okay, so if we're asking to hold the Democratic Party accountable, to hold that establishment accountable, to start from a place where we're holding our elected officials accountable, why start with an organization that has had years and years of complaints and problems? He said on Democracy Now! that he had not looked into those, that yeah. he, you know, supports justice and, and accountability, but he hasn't even looked into it. But then he was like, I helped found it. He was never around when I was there. He wasn't on any de facto board. So like he said, he didn't know. What, what was going on. He wasn't around when Renee was there. He, he wasn't around when most people I know that were in the party at any given time were there. So it's really kind of this old boys club politics. I knew Nick. I trust him. I'm going to join this party. And for me, that's kind of off the jump a little bit problematic. Um, also, there's ballot access in two states, and I don't really know what they're going to do to get I on the ballot. I thought just Florida. I think two right now. I think, well, it's either two or three, but I had heard that they had lost it in Florida. So it may only be two well, now. I'd well, the issue check. was that it was, if they got 
small, they, what is it called? Like small party or it, it's not, right. they didn't get the full access in Florida. They got, right. they got minor party. It's like minor right. party minor. status. Yeah. They got the minor party status in Virginia because people love to say, well, they got it in Virginia, but you not, but you can't like, you literally cannot in the state of Virginia be a party. If you're not a Republican or a, Dem- or a Democrat, that is the state law in Virginia. You can be a PAC but you cannot be a political party. The state mandate only allows Republicans and Democrats. So they're not a state party in Virginia. So is it maybe what that means is that then your party can be a write-in or something. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what the rules are for minor parties. Like what you think you have to run independent in those states. Um, Florida is literally where he has access, which is so ironic to me that there is access here for them. I mean, I think he's going to have to run as an independent everywhere because I don't think the ability to run on a party line as People's Party is feasible because there's so rules are not going to allow for him to do that. So he's well, going to have to run. A, it's a 527, right? So 527s yeah. are not supposed to coordinate with campaigns is my understanding. So have they launched a PAC where they're filing through the FEC? Um, how are they coordinating with the campaign? I mean, Nick's on video with him. So they're coordinating directly with the campaign. They launched his website. It says paid for by, you know, uh, Cornell West for America or something like that. Right. So, you know, he's got a PAC going on. Is MPP running that PAC? Because there's a lot of questions I have about this because at the People's Party, they're not, they don't have this stuff down. This is one of the things that, you know, before I left, one of the things that I was saying is it's going to be really hard to run a president. Why don't we start with a bunch of local races, get a bunch of local ballots. Even if we run a bunch of independents in 2023, we get a whole bunch of local seats. We actually make real change on the ground, not just flashbang. Um, Because right now, all the fascism is coming from state houses. 50 to 60 percent of state houses seats across the country, especially in quote unquote red states like Florida, Tennessee, Georgia, Kentucky, are uncontested. 50 to 60 percent. 80 percent of local seats in Georgia are uncontested. The Democrats have abandoned it. So there was an opportunity to build local grassroots. So there was a debate kind of at the party. Well, do we get a presidential candidate in, get the energy going, and then um, keep those people around? But as we know, as soon as the presidency is over, everybody's out. They're done. It's almost impossible to keep anybody. Y'all know that. And we've seen that with Bernie trying to keep supporting the campaign. Do you guys remember how that was? Yeah. And so that's one thing that people don't realize. Another is this is very different. People are like, well, you know, we had some progressives run under the Democratic Party label, but they weren't really affiliated with the Democratic Party. No, he's directly. I mean, Nick is (laughs) writing his stuff. You know, he's directly affiliated with the People's Party. Um, He's running under their banner. I just I don't understand why? But You're I, questioning I, I, I have seen West. I used to use West as an example with candidates, Jen. I don't know if I did with you, but he would go on one show. He did this in 2018 where he endorsed three different presidents in a week. 
right. presidential candidates running, depending on what show he went on. So I used to use him as an example of don't pander to pundits when you're out there talking. Like, I love West. He has great points. But as soon as he starts to pander, he loses his message sometimes. So I saw a different message on Democracy Now! than I saw on... Um, and then I saw on Kim Iverson. Now you can reach different audiences with the way that you speak about things. But if you're shifting your platform and your policies, that's a problem. And right now, MPP has boiled it down to where they only have four bullet points. Like the whole platform's gone. They relaunched. Um, so my my biggest issues is that we don't know where this party is going. It's not a party. You guys, for instance, you guys made a tweet yesterday. I think it was. And I saw the same 15 trolls that I see on everything. So when Cornell West announced the backlash was immense and no one's he's not listening to that. If you're starting out as a, you know, Jen yeah. and, and Peter and, and hell, you know, too, Renee, <laughs> you have to start by listening to people. So if the first feedback is really bad and you're getting it and you go on Russell Brand and people are like, this ain't it, man, um, then maybe what you should do is adjust and say, I have some assumptions about what's going on. I'm going to adjust. I'm going to come out and address this. I'm going to listen. But the campaign is starting out not listening. And for me, that's not a good sign from the launch. I mean, for me, what it looks like is that they just are basically using him to sort of relaunch whatever they are. But yeah. it sounds to me like there might even be legality issues with, depending on the nature of their organization, what yeah. their involvement can be directly with his campaign. Like, I don't understand all of that. So I don't want to put that. I mean, I know that PACs can't directly. And if they're a PAC, then how are they running a candidate when that's, you're not allowed to do, I don't know. I don't know how right. they're and, and And the one place where they are definitely a PAC, if it still exists, is Virginia, which would be <laughs> the worst place for, for them to be in coordination with each other because that's where Nick lives. So well, we not, didn't even have that when I started, Renee. That pack was already absolved. Oh, so there you go. And I just, you know, as you were saying it, Zane, I just want to make so it, Cornell West was part of their advisory council, which came into existence while I was volunteering there, because that was one of the fights that happened between the volunteers and that center circle was like, where'd this advisory council come from? Who agreed to this? Who picked these people? Like, where'd this come from? And Cornell West was part of that advisory circle. He was part of that group. And when the petition happened and when all the black people got booted out and then when the second set of black people left, we spent a lot of time trying to engage with Cornell West to explain what was going on and to see if he would work in solidarity with all of these black voices who were saying something's not right within this organization. And we were essentially ignored. So. So I you specifically know. reached out to Dr. West when you yes. were part of the people's party yes. saying along the lines of this is kind of shady. Something's not right. And he, yes. and let me ask you this, and this might be just totally, I just don't know. And he is an older, an older man. What is his, like, does he handle his own communications? Is no. he on social media? Well, see, okay, because that's something, like, when we when you reach out, is he getting that message, or is it so going to an assistant? I, so if an assistant writes me back and says, Dr. West has your information, we'll get back to you, 
Okay. I, I don't know how else to read that. No, that you're reading it right. It. Right. You're but reading that it he right. has access to it. Now, I can't say with any 100% certainty that he opened up any of the information that he was given right. access to. But right. this idea that he was completely naive and unknown and unaware of all these things that were going on, honestly, is horseshit. Because there were multiple people who were trying to communicate with him after the purge with the second group that happened with the purge when Zayna was there. I found out they also attempted to communicate with him and they were told that he essentially didn't think it would be in his in his best interest to talk to them. So <laughs> so there were multiple people trying to make him aware of what was going on within that organization and he made a decision to not be aware of it. So you can't cry ignorance in my opinion if you had opportunity to gain knowledge on something and you chose not to gain that knowledge. Those are two very different things. You know, we look at this movement and we can see how desperate people are and understandably so. Um, I can see why people were excited uh, about Dr. West getting into the race and believe in his uh, his enthusiasm, a lot of his message. Uh, you know, like you said, Renee, it's not perfect, but there's obviously a lot of agreement on it. It's a hell of a lot issues. better than what's on the menu right now when you're yeah. talking about love, ending wars and protecting civil liberty. Like, I get what you're saying, but in, we have a low bar here, Renee. Oh, we, low yeah, bar. Yes, well, we're below the bar at this point. <laughs> we well, we do, but also at the same time, what I what I encourage, you know, what I've been trying to say to people a lot is this is not really about me telling people not to support Dr. West, not to vote for him, not to volunteer, sure. not to get involved. Do what makes you comfortable. However, the bar is low because we keep accepting things that are low. Absolutely. The bar is low because we're okay with with voting within the duopoly and dealing with this left but I, but, but I want to but but I want to interject Renee I got to tell you you know I really do not like when I'm handling social media for Jen and I'm just observing what's going on in terms of the conversation and what people are saying I got to tell you it's not like it was 5 years ago there are a lot of people significant amount of people whether it was the reaction that that the black community seemed to have regarding Ice Cube when he said leave the Democratic Party it seemed overwhelmingly that a lot of them were agreeing with him and then when you see these, you know, whatever you want to call them, blue magas, you can call them whatever you want. But the people that are coming out saying you have to vote for Joe. Oh, you're an evil person. Look, Alicia Silverstone, who is uh, very noted for being a huge vegan activist, is somebody who came out the other day and just said, look, I'm supporting RFK in the primary. And the way that people were telling her, how dare you? You have to support. <laughs> no Joe. one's allowed to have any thoughts. You know, no I, one's allowed. To, and, and everybody it's like. But but I really believe that that's becoming something mm -hmm. that just isn't working anymore. I don't want to say it's completely falling on deaf ears, but I'm noticing a lot of people telling these guys to basically go kick rocks. It's like, you may not agree with our decision, but we're not going to listen to your vote shaming BS anymore. Because yeah. if you think selling Joe Biden is the answer, goodbye. It's not going to happen. Do you guys agree that there has right, been... I I 100% agree. And I think that's what I mean when I say that I don't tell people, don't get involved, don't vote, don't do this. It's not on me to tell someone not to put their energy somewhere. My exactly. Goal I, I, say, sure, I say, do what you want. Just, right. just you know, it's good but to be, be informed. Aware. Right. Because that idea like that when like people... you're going to... Sorry, oh, go, ahead. go ahead, Zana. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I don't like when people turn around and tell 
me what to do if I speak up about the issues that I've seen or what's happened to me. You know, I've had I had someone tell me today, so you're putting your assault above the people of Palestine. What? I didn't realize there was a choice between those two things. People say that kind of crap all the time. Like I'm supposed to forget. And the same person will tweet out, you know, Joe Biden did this to Tara Reid. I can't believe we're electing these kinds of people. And I'm like, everything's so hyper partisan that people can't think beyond. I mean, it might be great if, you know, if Cornell was to get in and do things. But first off, they're making promises to bring Medicare for all. He's going to need Congress. So let's talk about how he's going to get Congress on board to get Medicare for all passed, because as one man, the truth is, the fact is, he can't. The fact is, he can't disband NATO. The fact is, he can't disarm China, Iran, you know, all these other countries that he has listed. To, he, he can't do global disarmament. It would be wonderful if he could. But the policies that he has on the list, a lot of them are not things that an, an executive can do. They're not things that the presidency can do, literally. But there's right. not a lot on the list that he can do. Like, I have not seen anything clear on immigration status, for instance. I've seen some on military funding, but it would need to be more clear. Are you going to shift military funding? Because Congress is still going to pass it regardless. So once they pass it, what are you going to do with that money? Because you still have to do it within the bounds of the law. So that's one of the things when I was still at MPP, I was like, if we're writing, you know, whatever we're writing policy points for, you have to write it for what you can do as that person who's running. And it's not just Cornell. I mean, everyone makes these promises that are running for president, but these big sweeping things are going to do like they're God King. And I'm like, we've got a Congress. We've got state houses. We've got like, I want to know what you're really going to do. And that and, and that's something and that's that something we have to oh, and ahead, that's some, no it's okay but that's something that I want people to pay attention to this whole like we're gonna jump on the bandwagon for this thing because it's so great and it's a different voice and if you really pay attention it's not that different and that's what my problem is like we can't complain about corruption in the duopoly but then thumb our nose at the fact that nobody knows where the money is going for MPP, that nobody knows that they raised over $100,000 for a rally. Where'd the money go? No one's talking about that. We can't discuss, like, you can't complain about, you know, big money and corporations and all. You got to get money out of politics, but then you're going to side with the organization who's, the person who is running the finances is an ex-architect. They're not even an accountant. Right. Like these are common sense questions that for me, this is my problem. Like I don't have honestly, I don't have a problem particularly with Cornell West as like a person. If he wants to run for president and people want to support him because they think he has a great voice and they think he's dynamic and all those things. That's great. But where are we going with this if everything that he's pulling along with him as part of his campaign is bogged down in bullshit? and corruption, and lies, and sexual pests, and all these things that no, that people are already complaining about. How does this make anything better? Like, that's well, what I meant by, like, the bar is low already. Yeah. Why are we going under the bar? Like, where yeah, is that right? logical? We have a whole year and a half before the election. 
So think about it this way. If you truly believe in Cornell West, right? There's a lot of opportunity for people to push and organize and move him on things that you feel like he needs to be moved on, push him to be stronger on things he needs to be stronger on, ask him those questions like, how will you get us Medicare for all? How will you do this? Like, how do you plan on doing these things as president? Ask him, why don't you hold that accountability you talked about? Let's see it. What does that look like? What does it look like if everyone's, if there's this out cry because you're working with the People's Party, how are you going to fix it? Because you have an opportunity to do the thing that couldn't be done at the DNC in a party's infancy and help fix it. What are you going to do to do that? If you're going to be the face of this organization now and you're going to be taking this leadership role on, where's MPP's prime? Where's the People's Party's primary? For the presidency. They've always promised that. They talk about the DNC hand p- selecting candidates. Where's their primary? A lot of people are just like, oh, Cornell West, cool. But I'm like, this is a political party and they didn't have a primary, you know, a supposed political party. All right, well, that's what I was going to say. It sounds to me that they're not a political party, that they are a pack. And if you are, a, I, I, I'm very confused as to how they can do this as a pack. Like, I, I, I don't I don't know that. what they're like registered as right now, if they have a pack, you know, if they're just the 527, but a 527 is very limited on the coordination directly with campaigns. Yeah. You know, they can promote policies, they can promote certain things, but there are some limitations with campaigns. And as soon as they make expenditures, then you have to start a pack and you have to file with the FEC, right? Um, and 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 uh, proclaim those uh, expenditures. So I'm not, I don't know. You know, I don't want to say that they're not because maybe they've done something since I've left. Maybe they've set up an infrastructure, but really, I they, knew that wasn't something they were really willing to even listen to me about, even though that's something that I do. So I, I, I don't know. But they only have, have ballot access where? Two, most three states, which I don't even think so. So- I, I don't see how this works. I don't, that's what I don't understand. How can you run without ballot access? And and you can't. And that's why I keep saying he's going to have to go out there as an independent. And he can say that he's running under the MPP banner, but he's going to have to file as an independent, which means okay. he's going to have to file as an independent in every, every state, state in the country. And he's going to have to meet the qualifications to get on the ballot in all of those separate states, which is why we go back to, again, you have a party and an organization without people. Cornell West is one person, even if he's the most dynamic, fabulous, smart, all those things in on earth. He is one person. How is he? He's going to clone himself and do this all over the country without help, without people on the ground, without organized bodies, without without a plan. Like, again, and I, you know, I said this yesterday on status quo. Could they have all of this laid out? They could. Look, I'm not part of that organization anymore. It is very possible that they, okay, I won't say possible. There is a possibility that, <laughs> that they have all of this planned out and they're ready to go and they're just, they were just waiting for the announcement to be made. It, there, it is possible. It's unlikely, in my opinion, knowing what I know over the seven years of this organization being in, in existence, but it's possible. So, you know, it, it, but people have to be reasonable about this. You can't, you know, to be mad at me for pointing that out doesn't help anybody. If you no. want 
if you want, if you really think Cornell West is the best bet to be to be president, then your job should be to make sure that MPP is not the same organization that they were, I don't know, two months ago when they were selling t- when they were selling T-shirts for Jimmy Dore to run for president. Like we get it together, people like you have to pay attention to what's going on and be aware of yeah. the, the very simple things that need to make sense in order for this to work. And it can't just be about being excited on podcasts and on YouTube because the person that you like to listen to speak decided he was going to run for president. It is a lot more than that. We need to ask, how are you going to build a movement? How are you going to build a ground game? Is there one already? You know, um, not for necessarily winability, because I think that the win yeah. winability fallacy has messed yeah. over so many of my candidates, right, Jen? <laughs> like, yeah. No, but there has to be, it has to be part yeah. of the greater movement. Your campaign, if it's contributing to the greater movement and propelling issues and bringing building coalition, then the winability thing isn't the only thing, right? Like I I candidates that that he's uplifting that are run under the people's party. Where are, um, you know, and one thing that I always worry about once we venture into 2024 is that people are going to not pay attention to the state houses again. They're not going to pay attention to local elections. And then we're going to be arguing over Marion Williamson, RFK or junior, you know, um, Cornell West, Biden, Trump, which is important. I'm not saying it's not because people need hope. But a lot of us put all of our eggs in the basket of the presidency to save us, to save us, especially after Bernie. We've been desperate yeah. for a new hero to crown, right? Yeah, there's yes. like nomads wandering the desert. The entire progressive movement basically in South Florida basically disbanded after Bernie's uh, run. But before um, that, we didn't have heroes. No, well, we didn't so have. We focused we didn't on have state house races. We focused on local races. We focused on, uh, you know, federal races. We focused on each other. We focused on opening domestic violence shelters. We focused on building food banks. That stuff was happening for a while. And I'm telling you, I love that people came together for the Bernie movement, but it sucked a lot of energy out of organizing everywhere else. Yeah. And we've never rebutted. And now we're just looking for that new hero. And I was part of that because of, you know, MPP or BNC. And we tried to redo Congress. You know, <laughs> we tried. We really did. But one thing that people don't realize is when people like you run, on the DNC's ticket, the DNC throws everything against you and it's very difficult. It doesn't, it's not impossible, but it's hard as hell. Just because you ran with a D by your name doesn't make you a Democratic Party sellout like everyone thought. I'll tell you guys, I was there. Jen was not working with the DNC or the DSCC or the DCC or or the Florida Democrats. She was not because they would not work with her because she was running against Debbie Washerman Schultz. She may have had that D by her name to do the primary, but no one, nobody works. Well, that's the thing here that I tell people. It's like the D by my name is in letter only. And it really only is, it's the only way that I can participate in politics here. That's just the only way. And the truth is, is that for us, she is the biggest impediment to our state party being able to form any resistance to what's going on in Tallahassee. So for us, it's a very specific situation where it really is about her. Um, and, and the power that she is holding over all things progress, uh, more so, but no, for me, I'm not, I don't affiliate with the Democrats, not in theory, not in practice, not in anything. Um, I don't, 
I don't agree with them. I don't particularly like them. I I don't affiliate with the Republicans because they just are not anywhere near me on policy. But no, I'm only a Democrat because I have to be to participate. That's it. Can I, I want, can yeah. I address something just really, really quick? Yeah. Eduardo said, Zainab's, how are you going to build a movement? Sounds like the GOPs. How are you going to pay for it? Hey, Eduardo, I've built movements, buddy. <laughs> I helped to build the Medicare for All movement in 2017, the Abolish ICE movement, brand new Congress, Justice Democrats. I was at the People's Party trying to build it. I've helped more than 100 races. And I'm not saying I know it all and I'm the end all be all. There's a lot more people that know a hell, hell of a lot more than me. But I will tell you, it's got to start from the ground up. It's yeah. got to start from the grassroots up. Even at brand new Congress, we started from the grassroots up. Bernie the had the barn burners. Everything yes. was hyper local with Bernie's campaign. And was he was building coalitions with DSA candidates on the ground that were local. Um, and so you have to build from the ground up. If you don't, you're not going to have the infrastructure. You're not going to have the branches. You're not going to have the, I mean, you're not going to have the yeah. roots to hold up the tree and branches and help it grow without the roots. You're not going to get anywhere. And a big flashy name, flash pan, that doesn't build roots. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. That's it's the complete opposite. It's complete top down. Look at what happened when Trump ran and why he was so successful. There were people that were like, Trump minions everywhere. They everywhere. Were local. You mm -hmm. know, very local. One of the biggest reasons he was able to get through. Now, unfortunately, one of the byproducts of Trump really catering to the far right is you get these extremely out of out of sight, out of mind type people who either attempt to run and lose, like Doug Mastriano did in Pennsylvania, or they end up winning, like Marjorie Taylor Greene did in Georgia. So there's always the out there's always going to be the pros and the cons that will come from doing that but one thing that i've noticed and i think this is because I, I renee mentioned that you know she does have to jump off at 10 and we could keep going but one thing i do want to address here which i think is very very important you know we see whether it's people that are staunch supporters of the democratic establishment we saw what happened specifically pertaining to these Gen Z kids that are making these videos talking about how great Joe is. And it turns out, of course, they're getting paid and a lot of them are blue bloods and whatnot. You look at the people that grift towards Donald Trump and they say, oh, he's great. We're going to get him back and all this. And ultimately, you find out a lot of these guys are getting paid. Now, what I'm trying to figure out, because I think anybody with an objective eye, especially with what happened with the anti-war rally that transpired in D.C. and the fact that the person who's the head of the MPP was the MC of the event, which made no sense whatsoever, and then brought in a lot of people who really should not have been there. What is it exactly? We know what it is with Jimmy because he has a very big platform. He makes a lot of money and he can donate a lot of money as is. But what is it with the head of the MPP that just can't seem to go away, that just seems to be hanging on and is continuing to convince himself and whoever is foolish enough to listen to him that somehow, some way, he's eventually going to convince people that he is the way, that you have to listen to what he says, much like he lied about his influence within the Bernie campaign, much as was the case when he attempted to start this thing. It could have been something. It ended up being a complete disaster. Why do you think that there is still this 
desire to keep his name relevant? And why do you think Dr. West was taken in by it? I personally think a lot of it just like, as I was alluding to, just has to do with money. But I, I would love to hear from your guys' perspective why you think that's the case. So I will give Nick credit for one thing. He really talks a good game. I don't know if you've ever had like an actual conversation with him. Okay. So he talked me around a few times to being like, oh, well, Nick's not so bad. Like (laughs) while I was participating in the organization. So what I think happens is he talks enough of a good game that he can rally people, right? And then once people start to realize something's not right here, he just gets rid of them. And then he starts with a whole new crew of people. So I don't yeah. think that it's actually that he's doing anything that is 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 holding him in a space where he's getting something done. I think he is just recycling people so quickly that no one ever is there long enough to really stop the nonsense. By the time people figure out how bad the situation is, a purge happens, right? Like I literally, I put this up on my tweet, on my Twitter the other, I think this morning, like the MO, like you get people people engaged, you purge them all, you call them all in, uh, <laughs> infiltrators, and then you start all over again. Like right. that's Five literally what has happened. Times. Yeah, I mean, really? over and over. Yes, over and over and over again. So the reason he he maintains this relevance is because he's never talking to the same people. He has a very small crew of people who they're friends for whatever reason they're connected. I, you know, I don't want to make any assumptions. I have my own thoughts, but I don't want to put anything out there that I don't have any you know, actual, like, truth to, con- you know, confirm what I think. Right, it's all but, conjecture. It's conjecture. Right, if they're all, they're all friends. They're all giving each other money. They're all, you know, keeping each other on top of things. And the goal is for them all to stay just relevant enough that they can keep making money. They don't really care exactly. about people. If they cared about people, something would have happened between 2017 and now that served a purpose. I know you said 10 o'clock, but the little one goes to bed at 10. So I actually no, can't go ahead. right now because I'm getting the face. But um, I'm sorry that I jumped, <laughs> that I couldn't have my camera on. It was good to no, talk to you all. No, thank you, Renee. I appreciate it because you definitely have like, uh, your bias is in favor of trying to get shit done. Like your your bias against them is that they didn't do anything. It's not like a personal thing. And I appreciate Renee, that. Renee, I'll leave you with this thought. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, you and I get along so well. And I think so highly of what you do is one of the things, the evolution of the summer of 2015, She's where millions of us got into the whole Bernie movement was that we were very green. We were wet behind the ears and all that. We're at a point now where we have to be smart about how we invest our time and what we do. We don't have time for this bullshit anymore. We have to grow up. And that is and, and taking taking that pill for a lot of people, unfortunately, is hard to do. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You all Renee. have a great night. Bye. Good night. Bye, Renee. Bye, Renee. Yeah, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to, you know, not look at this and think it's somewhat of a grift and a scam just based on the knowledge that I have of you know, the behind the scenes stuff. And it does seem ridiculous to me. And I'm just figuring it is like what Renee said. It's just a a source of income. Um, And and the more you could bring in, it's a grift. I don't want it to be. Yeah. 
Like even I, despite everything that happened at the people's party and everything that happened to me, as I keep telling people, it wasn't just what happened to me, but that was wrong as hell. It happened to a lot of people. A lot of what happened there was wrong. Transparency, lack of democracy, you know, like out there, our comms director, they they had her removed. This was the two days before they removed us. And then they smeared her all over the internet for nothing. She didn't do anything. They even went after her family. That kind of stuff is crazy. It's crazy. So, so you know, and so, why, let her finish. No, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm almost done. I'm sorry. I'll hurry. No, no, but the, the, the thing that, you know, it's not even about that for me. It's that people are going to give their time and their money yes. to people that made are going to make promises to them. And I have already been down that road. I went down that road with Justice Democrats. I went down that road with brand new Congress. I went down that road with the People's Party. We had some good candidates at BNC. A lot of people don't realize that. You, Rick Trevino, Paula Jean Swearingen, Eva Petsova. A lot of oh, our there were we have, there were good candidates. candidates. Listen, the second mm-hmm. I walked in that day, I yeah. told her. I said, "Go, Corey, Corey Bush." Above the rest. I mean, like, there, so no, there were definitely she, good candidates. Know. Yeah, there were good, and even the people that weren't primed for Congress. The people that weren't, you know, at being able to get to that point, they still brought so much to the table. Yeah, you know, there there were really good people in that room. And the yeah. DNC worked against almost all of them. Of course, you know, and and I saw things though. You know, I saw that the circles in D.C. and I saw that the circles that you think are big are small and the doorways to get in as a candidate or the D.C. beltway is small. I learned that it's classist as hell. You know, they barely let people in if you don't have an Ivy League education. You know, they look down on people. I'm talking about people that are in the elections, campaigns, pundits, fear, right? I, I learned that Every pundit knows every pundit on YouTube and TV. I learned the same thing with this circle around Door and Brana and Lee Camp and and it, Lee Camp's his best one of his best friends. I agree with a lot of what Lee says, but they're super duper close. He right. Iverson, they're always texting each other. Door's always texting Nick. Like these people are tight knit. So when it comes to accountability, just like what we saw with the Democratic Party or just like we see with anything else, it's the old boys club. So that's why I think that organizing, we can't have these necessarily, we need to look up to people that are doing actual organizing on the ground. I know you guys do that with generational change and you have done a lot of that. We need to look to people that are talk because you guys have like people that are doing things right in your district all the time on your show. We need to look to pundits that are going, if you're going to get information from somebody, get information. But my advice would be to watch who you make your heroes and spend some time building at home. You know, encourage someone to run for office. Hell, run for for state house yourself because you can make much more change at the state house level than you can federally, and you don't have to raise that much to run. And these seats are uncontested. Run locally. Run for your city council. Hell, get on the school board. 
get on the PTO right now at this point with what's happening with our schools, like Mm -hmm. get somewhere that you can help to make a difference in your community. And I honestly, truly believe that that's where, where we're going to see the change. And it's not that I say ignore elections because they do have impacts, but I think we've been overlooking the, like you said, there was this hero. We got behind him. We were wet behind the ears. Right. And it kind of drove everyone into the movement. And, and like we mentioned earlier, we're looking for a new hero Maybe Cornell West would be a decent candidate after all. Maybe he will hold the People's Party accountable. Maybe he will not go the way of the right wing like some of these people have been going with some of this anti-LGBTQ stuff and things. I hope not. As long as he doesn't do that, maybe. But he's not going to save us. No, I agree. No, no, no. Well, he's definitely not anti-LGBTQ, I could tell you that. You also brought up a very good point. You know, the hard part about running a lot of these elections, especially if you want to be viable, is it takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of effort. takes a lot of volunteers. takes a lot of money. And I said that. But that's the key thing. (laughs) But that is a key uh, component to it. And, you know, one of the things when I look back on, you know, what Alex chose not to do when BNC really had some juice to it and was getting some candidates in, okay, you don't want to support the ability for, let's say, Jen to run against Debbie or whoever, Michaela to run against Steny Hoyer, whatever. You could have easily been bringing up, like, let's say, nonpartisan candidates for mayor of certain areas, state houses, city councils, things of that significance. And her voice would have mattered in a lot of places. And that's not to say an impact hasn't been felt in New York City. It certainly has. But when you have that type of a reach, when the squad and people like that, when Bernie has the type of reach that they do, okay, you don't want to piss off the colleagues that you have to work with on a daily basis. You don't want to become outcasts or whatever. Give them the leg up. Give these candidates who truly have potential the leg up at the local level to start (laughs) building that infrastructure at the local level. We were in a situation here in Florida where we had two that we know of, there was probably several others, but two state house candidates that were really solid, one in Orlando, one in Miami. They should absolutely be in Tallahassee right now. And the reason they're not there is because of the Democratic Party establishment and how they how they do business and how all of their infrastructure went to the two top candidates, Charlie Crist and Val Demings. And what yeah. a complete disaster that ended up being. The mm. fact that Val Demings outspent Marco Rubio by $25 million. And lost by? 17 points. Yeah. That, to me, is an indictment of the system. But that is our state party is. as well. Like, that's very yes. specifically our state party. Our state party put all of their resources into two bad losing candidates that nobody thought could win. And instead, they gave up the potential there were about 20 winnable state house seats down here that there weren't even candidates in those races. Florida has given um, the uh, Florida Democrats just gave it all to the Republicans. They're just like, well, they're, I think that they're I friends. Feel like, you know, they don't care. They've given up because at this point for Florida Democrats, they just use it for fundraising. Like they don't really care. They don't want to do anything. That's, and that's what I worry about this campaign. Yeah. I worry about people giving their money, giving yeah. their time, it taking resources away from other things. I'm not saying not to. I'm like Renee. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, who to support, who not to support. But what I will say is that there's been a lot of flashbang with this party 
<laughs> what? <laughs> no, I'm just, he thinks somebody's going to read my lips. I'm like, they might. It could happen. <laughs> I was trying to really hard. I couldn't. Well, what I said is, I'll be honest. To me, what you're saying is, is that when the concern about people donating hours and money to something and then it goes nowhere, it is very defeatist. It bring, it pushes the movement backwards. And yes. quite honestly, that's exactly what I said to him when he first told me oh, forever ago about Marianne running. And that was my attitude about that. Like, I think it's not a good allocation of time and resources. I think it's a road to nowhere. And it just builds people up to, to defeat them. Besides, if you really are trying to make the type of impact right now and you want to make sure that the movement itself is growing and the money is going where it needs to go, and it is so obvious that the real challenger to Joe's presidency right now is RFK, and he's going to continue to grow in the polls, regardless of what people think, you know, they're going to obviously continue to harp on the VAX stuff and all that. But the fact of the matter is he has a name, he has money, he has a number of policies that are very agreeable to a significant majority of the country. And it's the whole anything, anybody but Joe type situation. So then you look at somebody like Marianne, who has no real money, has no infrastructure, and you're thinking you could be doing a lot of good right now basically transitioning into something else, whatever that might be. But that's just one example. She's got her new book coming out. Be it as it may, and that's on her, but on people in the movement who are so desperate to be latching on to something, uh, being able to get excited about what you can do at the local level is for some reason, uh, and especially on the left, a much harder thing to come by. This is why I have such respect for the populist right, because they value the localist of local elections. You see this nonsense that's going on in Glendale, California right now with the school board? They got the freaking proud boys out there. They've got everybody. They're out on the ground level. And whether you think they're batshit insane, oh, yeah. they definitely have the ground game covered. This is not they go to the city the councils. They knock. They yeah. knock the doors for years. The only candidates that ever knocked my doors was the Republican candidate. Everywhere they go to the state fairs. They go to they they pay money for the little league. They do things like that, and people see it and they say, "Oh, this person is actually helping our community. This person is showing up." But also, like I said, a whole bunch of seats are uncontested. So they're even getting lazy because there's no point in showing up if no one's running against them because they're no, they don't raise money or anything. They're just, Wait, they're just you in the seats. Answer him. I want to tell, say something to Taylor. Why RFK endorsed Hillary over Bernie? Because RFK is not a progressive. It's very simple. There's no mystery to it. He just doesn't. He, he uh, and, and the only, and I'm just sick of hearing about the anti-vax stuff. I just don't care. And with the exception of a few really snowflakey neoliberals, most people are over that at this point. Yeah. Well, I it, for, I'm autistic, so he created a lot of stigma for my people. For See, me. That's, oh, that's a different that's issue. Different, and that's serious. I'm talking about the COVID. Yeah. The, the, oh, yeah. yeah. About yeah. The, the COVID stuff with him. Um, yeah. No, that that's and the fact that he hasn't come out and said since that, oh, I was totally wrong. This is not true. And still sort of doubles down on it is a problem. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the problem. No, and, and for you, sure. That is you, one single thing. But for me, my problem with him is that he's. A legacy candidate. Oh, for he sure. Is. He's for Bobby sure. Kennedy Jr.'s kid. He's been in the DNC Beltway his whole life. He's about as establishment as you get. But yeah. people think that he's anti-establishment. It's similar nope. to what they did with Trump. And I'm like, Trump's not anti-establishment. Neither like, is this guy. <laughs> I do like that he specifically did say about pardoning whistleblowers like Assange and Snowden. And when you yeah, talk about good. the fact that 
when Cornel West is talking and on their platform, it's not about things that a president can do. What when RFK, I did notice that the things he's talking about are things that a president can do. So it is a he's little very and, I, and I will say that I did do some research into what he's been doing over the past 20 years. And it's very impressive as far as his environmental justice and activism and the people that he's been fighting for and taking on companies like Exxon and suing the U.S. Navy. And, you know, so that is just, I'm just looking at actions, okay? Like forget whatever he's selling, right? That's what he has spent the better part of 20 years doing is fighting for environmental justice. So for me, that in and of itself, that's a pretty solid thing. That's pretty solid. And if I were looking as to between him and Joe, it's a no-brainer for me. Like as to between him and Joe, it's a no-brainer. And I don't care that he supported Hillary because guess what? Joe is way, way right of that. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me about that. Yeah. And I think the fact, listen, just the fact- And I'm not that, a supporter, just yeah, so you know, I'm Just not. the fact that RFK came out and said, yeah, the CIA murdered my father. And yeah. Father. I mean, that's- Yeah, that was, a, that was, that was interesting. So yeah. at Trump, but, but That's I mean, speaking truth to power right there. Yes. And it's crazy. And it's ballsy. And yeah, that's the kind of stuff that gets people dead. And the fact that he would say that like that, I haven't heard anyone else say it. Never heard Bernie say something like that before. So, you know, that I got it. it it's to me, it's a positive. That's definitely in the plus. Well, column. like you said, we're at such a low bar yes. right now. What we're looking for is just anything that's going to allow us to really move. Again, the whole thing about, I said, Trump and what his movement was, Bernie's was the same thing. There were people that were latching on, that were running for office because they believed in Bernie's message. People are yes. not going to be doing this for RFK. People aren't going to be doing this for anybody else. No. They're probably going to be doing it for Trump again. 1,700 Yeah. Cornell could do she that could. if he were with the party infrastructure that would facilitate that. He is the kind of person that I could see inspiring people to run down ballot. Um, I do see that, but not with the system in which he's running. I don't I don't see how that could work. Zaina, this will be one of our last topics, but obviously, why would he not just look? I, I have no love for the Greens. I think they're a complete disaster in so many ways, but they do have an infrastructure. They do have some money and they have ballot access. So, I mean, yeah, and I think in 38 states as of right now, that doesn't mean that they couldn't over the next year and a half or at least the next year when things really start to heat up. <laughs> get on the ballot in another, let's say, you know, seven to 10 states. So why would he not run there when he was an extremely vocal advocate for Jill Stein in previous years? Maybe he knows the person that's going to run there. That could be one thing. Yeah. Another could be the fact that they have primaries. I'm not saying that he would avoid a primary, but possibly. But the reason he gave is what I'll just go with. And that's he knows brother Nick. Um, he was a former founder of the People's Party, right. um, a de facto member of the board, and um, he believes that it is the best party to represent humanity, fairness, accountability, and justice. But it sounds like they're not even a party. That's, I mean, no, and I hate, also like, do not stand for those values, in my no. opinion, and, and from the assessment from anyone that's been there. Yeah. Um, no, so and, you, like you said, you look at actions, not just a platform, correct. right? Yeah. What have you done and how have you acted? Okay, they haven't ran any candidates that could pass laws, but they've handled their party infrastructure. They've treated volunteers a certain way. They've organized for seven correct. years and not a single candidate. 
I mean, you know, yeah. but I don't want to just naysay, like beat it, beat a dead, you know, just beat it to death here. So let's, that's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to get at. But it's true. I mean, you don't want to be negative, but people need to know reality. And it's, it's like, the problem is, is it's very easy for people to get wrapped up into something without thinking it through. And the next thing you know, the people's party is raking in the dollars, which is the ultimate goal, is it not? And they're using, what it seems like to me is they're just using Cornell West to do so. Yes. And I'm going to ask people, you know, my big message would be pay attention to what legislation is coming down your state house's pike over the next six weeks to, you know, four months, because I feel like they're going to try to cram through a whole bunch of crazy crap. Pay attention to what Congress is doing, because while we're over here looking at the presidential election that's already starting, Congress is going to start sliding things through because they they do that last year before the presidential. They always try to slide a bunch of things, crazy stuff through. Yeah. Um, pay attention to what Biden is doing. because He's going to try to do some things under the table. So it's fun to talk about the presidential election and it's important. And, you know, it's something that we should talk about. Cornell just announced. So there's nothing wrong with talking about it. But I have seen people and they it's like a switch turn. They went from organizing to now arguing about the president. And that's all they talk about. I'm like, guys. Let's yeah, <laughs> back to organizing again. Yeah. You know, we've still I got mean, a lot of work to do right now. <laughs> yeah, well, for us right now, our big thing is um, getting abortion access on the ballot in 24. And that is our big movement that we're doing here is collecting petitions for that. We need to get close to a million by the end of the year in order to oh, make wow. the 24. Yeah. And it's, and you know, it's not just a million overall, it's you have to have certain counties and districts represented in it. So it's an undertaking. It's a huge coalition involved. I am impressed with how organized it's Floridians um, protecting freedom. And uh, it's, it's really, it's everybody from the League of Women Voters to Planned Parenthood to, it's, it's a huge coalition. So I think it's possible, but that's been our priority here is getting, I, I feel like it's hard for me to do anything until I get my bodily autonomy back. So for me, that just happens to be a thing. And I, and I say it a million times, I'm just not arguing about it with people anymore. I'm just not, I'm not going to argue about it with you. This is absurd that we're still having this conversation, but now we're having women having to wait for fallopian tubes to burst with ectopic pregnancies because doctors won't perform abortions on them. In okay. Kentucky so yeah. what is our, okay. Our maternal mortality rate is already the highest in the developed world. The numbers because of this are going to be astounding, astounding. And we know it's going to mostly be poor and black people. So it's like, right. So, and, and who most people would just consider that's disposable. Nah, they don't care, whatever. Um, and this is what we have to deal with in Florida. So I'm still trying to get bodily autonomy. We're still, they're still holding up on a six week ban here. That's, that's horrible. We have something very, very similar in Kentucky. I think it's a full on ban. Just yeah, nothing. And um, it's so extreme in Kentucky and Texas that literally, um, people could potentially go to jail for having a miscarriage because it's criminalized. There's a few states it's criminalized in. Yeah. People could, you know, if somebody makes a claim that you had, you know, let's say it's an abusive husband makes a claim or, or you know, partner makes a claim that you, that you tried to have an abortion. Right. And then the cops could come and they would have to do like a whole thing on you and, yeah. And also people are having to wait before they can get their DNCs 
done. They have to be cleared for a DNC. Sepsis can set in. That's oh, insane. Well, that's the thing when you tell women, well, that's the same concept of when a woman is carrying a dead fetus and they know that the baby's and there, there has now been a woman that was forced to carry dead fetus. Yeah. That can cause some serious health problems for a woman. How about the mental trauma that comes with Well, that's, that's a whole that's other. That's a good point too. Peter. That is, but it's like being forced to carry. I mean, I cannot fathom. And it's just, it's absolutely freaking me out. We are the handmaid's tale. That that's where we are. We're in the hand. We are. And it's terrifying. And so that's really great that you guys are pushing for the ballot access. I mean, for the the ballot, because I mean, you guys did get well for a while. um, The felons or, you know, ex-incarceration were able to vote. Yeah, things can happen. And you know what? Only 12% of the country supports this, supports a full abortion oh, ban. That's Only 12%. It's extremely unpopular. No one wants this. The only reason it's passing in these states is because all these seats are uncontested and the Republican Party is just running roughshod over everything. Listen, that's what I said. I Our state's been, been hijacked. I would have been the first to tell you prior to the six-week abortion ban, because most people, I think, generally speaking, 15 weeks is probably too early, but there probably would have been something between probably 15 to 20 weeks. At a, I think most... Anything I find prior, the whole discussion so infuriating. Probably anything that would have been compromised would have been before the third trimester. Nevertheless, They're discussing you've our gotten to parts. the point now where you're talking about the six-week abortion ban. If that had not gone through, even if it was the 15-week that stayed on the books, I would have... I, I've been saying it. I've been saying it for a year that DeSantis was our next president. His decision to do this was the end has basically completely now opened the door for Trump all over. Yeah. And Trump has made it clear. He has gone on national TV. He has gone on the most conservative networks and said, I totally think that it should be an exception for rape, for incest and the life of the child and the mother. And it's like, and they're not going to push back on him because they know he's right. And they and they said, and listen, we have to win elections. That was exactly what he said. And he's correct. And so he's, he's going to look like the candidate who has the yep. grades. He's going to go to the left. Yes. He, he's going to go to the left. The people are to the left. Trump knows this. He's already going to the left on a bunch of issues. And I'll yes. tell you why. Because he learned this last time, this misconception that a bunch of people have about these red states, this misconception that they have because the mainstream media has been telling you Kentucky's a red state. Right. All the voters there are bigots because they're it's a red. No, no, it's red because there's no one else running in these seats but Republicans and we don't have a choice. If you look at polls or you look at state ballots, for instance, in Kentucky and Kansas, when they were able to keep it off the Constitution, yeah. they voted against abortion bans. Yeah. Um, when it was a ballot, anytime there's a ballot in the state, the ballot goes left. That's because the people are left. If you're going to run on white right wing, you know, white nationalism, I don't like migrants. I don't like immigrants. Um, I am anti, you know, LGBT people, LGBTQ people. I'm, you know, all these things. You are going to alienate most voters because even though people think poor people in rural areas are a bunch of ignorant bigots, I got news for you. We're actually not. Actually, most of Trump voters were wine moms. And Jonathan Haidt recently did an article like the dumbest, why we've been the dumbest we have been in 10 years or something like that. It was in the Atlantic. It was so good. But apparently all the... (laughs) 
a lot of the right wing trolls um, or the extremist trolls on both sides are moms in wealthy suburbia, like wine, wealthy yeah. wine moms. It's not the guy, you know, the nerdy guy in the basement looking like Cartman. It is wine moms, which is totally crazy and hilarious. So there's a misconception about where the public is because these out of touch people don't talk to us. Well, they don't come down to find out what we think. There's also a lot of virtue signaling that goes on on social media where they're saying one thing, but in the privacy of their own home and in the ballot box, they're doing something completely different, completely different. That's right. And they don't understand algorithms. So they'll think everyone supports me because I see yeah. people. Everyone's talking about this on my feed. It must be true. I'm like, well, listen, I have a good, listen, I have a good friend who I consider to have pretty strong you know, self-esteem. Uh, but actually, I can still remember this was probably like six, seven years ago and to complain to me like, you know, how come only 10 people liked my post? And I'm thinking, what what the hell does that have to do with anything? It, well, first of all, it's such an echo chamber. We have been hijacked here in Florida. And I generally I give generally give the benefit of the doubt to other states as well. So like what you're saying, like when people say Florida is red, I will argue Florida is not red. Our state has been hijacked by a red legislature of crazy people that are speaking on behalf of a minority. We passed also a $15 minimum wage here in Florida on our ballot. The same year Trump overwhelmingly won our state, we passed a $15 minimum wage. So Florida is actually a populist kind of purpley state in the rural areas Uh and whatnot. And our legislature is full of evangelical crazy people. That's right. that's what it is. And Aaron so, Grawl. <laughs> Aaron Grawl. Um, Aaron Grawl. Because Republicans Grawl. organized locally and yes. on the ground and Democrats Correct. have abandoned it completely. And yeah. when you have halfway decent candidates, I'm not going to name anybody, but when you have halfway decent candidates who literally don't get that punching above your weight class yeah. is a very bad move and you eventually make yourself irrelevant because people will not take you seriously anymore. It's not smart. And it happens everywhere. Well, we had two decent state house candidates that could have, should have won. Should have. Two that would have been in Tallahassee right now. That, and that's what we know. Two of. For, and right. And that's what we know. And, and there were 20 seats that the Democrats could have put someone in and didn't. And we know of two that had good candidates and the Democrats didn't help them at all. No, yeah. no, they, they, they've completely left Kentucky. And you know what? I don't want them because you know what? On our ballot in Kentucky and actually Florida is pretty, as far as I remember, it's pretty easy too. It's easy to run independent for state house. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Ballot access isn't that hard. So like, you know, consider running independent, raise that money. And you know what, if you're going and you're knocking doors as a state house candidate, I think if you're say you're independent, people are at 65% of the country right yeah. now are registered independent now. Yeah. Not just affiliated independent. People are switching their registration. So if you go knocking doors and like, I'm an independent, I think people are going to really resonate with that because here so we have it's just no party. Well, yeah. that's, NPA. But that's the significance. Uh, the school board is trickier because we did have a school board race that was here. Oh. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I, thought he was, I thought he was a good candidate, but he he attached himself to certain people in the Democratic establishment. <laughs> Debbie that Wasserman. Think, that I think brought him down. But oh, the person, for the school board? Why would you even yeah. do that? Well, she, for some reason, okay, feels the need to rear her head and get involved in all sorts of nonpartisan local races. And it consistently alienates and pisses people off that are elected here. We get, oh, no, no, no. She has pissed off and burned so many bridges with local people that are our local political people because she takes positions in races that are none of her business. 
and and that school board race oh, I'd be so was mad. one of them that she had to connect herself to. She has to I do promote- believe that a second that she gets her the thing about her in particular is that she really is on point with a Pelosi and with a McConnell and with a Hillary in that the second they stick their neck out, no pun intended, uh, it really lights a fire under the opposite side. It's it's like, very it negative. It really does. That's why Amy McGrath was able to get all that money in the Kentucky race and Charles Booker, who should have been the nominee, was ultimately somebody who may yeah, not well. have won, but my goodness, would he have built an infrastructure in Kentucky if he I was I think he could have won in 2018 before I he shifted he his rhetoric because he shifted his rhetoric to be more in line with the Democratic Party. I think he could have won in 2018 had he ran. Uh, 20. Um, 2020, you mean? Or 2020, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, they, no, but you mean when he went against Rand Paul? No, when he ran against McConnell and he. McConnell, yeah, I think he could have. Yeah. yeah, I do think if I think if Charles. But Rand Paul's like a loved in Kentucky. He is, you know, he's he's not even though we're 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 populist day and we're more purple and no. and actually more progressive. A lot of people like Ron Paul's like anti-war or Rand Paul's anti-war stances and free speech stances. He's not hated. That's because he is not a loathsome person. That's because the people who really understand politics understand that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't mind Rand Paul. Being one of only two senators, although I think John Fetterman may be a third, that Uh, do not meet with lobbyists and corporate special interests. And Rand Paul happens to be one of them. And that impresses me. So they are people. out of line with the party all the time, like yeah. even with either Democrats or just in complete. He has his principles. He yeah. has his principles. And, and so the, that's he, why, he, yeah, as a but, person, no one hates. But him. that's the problem with for Charles and for a lot of these yeah. guys, because I thought Charles was an excellent candidate. He is a good the problem candidate. is, is that you get really bad freaking advice from a lot <laughs> of people within that party establishment who you have to understand. The number one priority, and this is so much worse on the Democratic side than the Republican side, because at least on the Republican side, when you're a grifter, a.k.a. consultant, you actually have to win races. To get rehired. On the Democratic (laughs) side, it doesn't matter. They just want the money. They don't care how many times they lose. It is just a matter of how many times can we perpetuate this cycle over and over. Hence what happened here in the state of Florida. Was DeSantis always going to beat Charlie Crist? Yes. However, there is no excuse for how badly they performed without acknowledging the fact that there was a deliberate misuse of funds in this state Huge. at every single They level. could have done, but he was never going to win. Mm-hmm. The only reason that Charlie Crist got within 20 points of Ron DeSantis was because of Roe versus Wade being overturned. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would have gotten within 20 points had that not happened. He yeah. was so fuddy-duddy. And He's horrible. He was our Republican governor. Yeah, yeah. That, and you know... These are small dollar donations a lot of times. People people think that there's so much corporate money in these races, and in some of them there are. But a lot of these races, like Marjorie Taylor Greene is almost all small dollar, believe it or yeah. not. But a lot well, of these races very, are small very, dollar. She's popular. She's very popular. I keep saying, you know, watch out because she may ultimately decide to run against us off in two years and she could win that state and go to the U.S. Senate. Oh. Like there are people who really don't oh understand that that could actually happen. Like oh my really, god! And the way that uh, <laughs> the way that Ossoff is currently handling Cop City, listen, it's not the worst response that's been given. What did he say? He just basically is like trying to have it both ways. Okay, so he's like, not taking a stand. 
pretty pretty much. Then that's not doing anything. Okay. Then that's part of the problem. So as a result, you are really opening up the lane for her because she's going to get all of the red votes in that state. She will dominate that vote, but will it be enough to overcome what has become, uh, you know, an Austin, Texas, if you will, that is now Atlanta, Georgia? If that's the case, who knows? But do you really want to take that risk? And as we have suggested, we don't need her in a statewide office. It people. is deliberate that we have gotten to this point that everything is about corporate special interests dominating our government. And we have to we have to rectify that reality sooner rather than later. But like you said, a lot of this starts at the local level and you cannot besmirch people if they choose to run within the Democratic Party. You can't do the same if they're in the Green Party or the Ford Party or whatever it is that they're choosing to do outside of the two-party system if they're not taking corporate People money. just need to use strategy and you have to just be smart and you have to know where you are and what works best for where you are. And, the, and above everything else, the future is with labor. The labor movement is what is going to save us if we're able to save ourselves. We have to recognize that in the labor movement, you have the greatest crossover on the political spectrum of people who believe that you should be able to live a life of dignity, that believe in health care, that believe in ending the wars, civil liberties, things of that nature. And the fact that the labor movement seems to be growing day by day and the people that are attracted to the labor movement are people on both the Bernie side and the Trump side of things. That to me, that's the ticket. That's what's going to allow us to get to where we need to go. Labor. And the sooner people really take that to heart. We need a labor party. That's what we need. We need a labor party. We don't have a labor party. party. Uh, You know, and and that would have to think outside of the box a little bit because unions are so small. So a fraction of the population. And we're we're trying to grow it, but, but almost all millennials are gig work. So what does that mean? That would mean that if we're going to do that, we have to figure out trade unions and co-ops and, and yep. other kind of unions so that those voices are represented and workers are and different kinds of workers are brought in. Um, yeah. And it's not like we all want to be gig work. I mean, we don't all want to, you know, have to pay the inflated taxes and not have health care and be living paycheck to paycheck like we are. It's just that jobs are extremely scarce. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but These are organizing friends. Half of everyone I know can't find work right now. Yeah. Everyone. Well, the people that I know that are working people are working two, three jobs. And and, yeah. And, and, and that usually does include some sort of gig, whatever it is, or side hustle or whatever it is. I don't know people that really work for industries in my regular life. Not so much. And certainly not young people. It's not like it used to be. You go into some company, you work there for 30 years, you get a nice pension, you move on, you can afford to live. So nobody has that anymore. No. Um, And we were just recently talking about um, the thing going on with the Teamsters and the UPS workers and all of this stuff that they're doing. Talk about a pop in circumstance when you're talking about Wasserman Schultz. And we're not going to name any names, but let me tell you something. Oh, she pissed off the Teamsters. if there is <laughs> again, <laughs> yeah, he pissed off the team. But there's, a, but there's a reason for that. Yeah, because the person who basic and this is in this in many ways is a microcosm of the whole problem with unions in the United States. It's not the rank and file. No, it's the bosses. It's the people. Yeah, who absolutely. Are no different than any of the people who are at the head of the Democratic right, Party establishment exactly that ruin it for everybody else. 
So Dan Reynolds, who is the head of the Broward County AFL-CIO, he is also the number two in the entire state of Florida. And he has been protecting Wasserman Schultz for the better part of 25 years. That includes defending her when she was one of three Democrats that voted to fast track the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So when you have that problem. Dan that, wouldn't even give me a screening. He, but, but here's the difference. Oh, I remember. But here's the difference between Jen and Canova. They gave Canova a screening. And I still maintain the reason he got that screening is because they never, no matter what, actually thought that he was going to beat Debbie. They know that Jen could beat Debbie. So they don't want to give her that opportunity to actually appeal to that many more people that actually have an influence amongst the voters. Yeah, no, no regular working people in any anywhere yeah. are going to listen to her and me speak and choose her. Regular working people, there's not, it's just, you, you, you'd have to be like, to have something wrong with you. Um, I mean, you, all you have to, and this is not even personal, just based on, you know, what she does, but we're never given that option. That's right. There's no debates. There's no, and endorsements are really a thing because, you know, somewhere like West Virginia, when, when Paula won the ticket. Yeah. Endorsements were like pulling teeth. People endorse Shelly more capito. As anti-worker as it gets over Paula Jean uh, for, for a Senate seat of all things. So, you know, and I don't want to disparage unions, but the truth is, yes, there are many unions in bed with the political party and the political oh, yeah. establishment. And it's not like you said, it's not the it's not the workers. It's mm -hmm. not the Teamsters. It's the it's the it's the head. It's the AFL, it is the AFL-CIO. They are the biggest union. That's our that problem. Is, and the and, and we'll leave on this note, Z, uh, when the you're looking at what climate defiance is doing right now. And we had Riley Hyde, who's the leader of the group. They're that was awesome. Running. They're She's great. adorable. But here's the problem. Yeah. And this is what I made very clear to them. You are the second opportunity of the Sunrise Movement. They had yeah. a great thing going, and then they decided to endorse Joe Biden and lock arms with the Democrats. Then it's over. That's it. It's done. It's it over. Because how can you be holding... How can you hold people accountable when you're supporting them? Mm -hmm. Then, then they, that. then you, they don't owe you anything. You've already endorsed them. Why should they do anything? It's no different than Ice Cube saying to the black community, "Stop voting for the Democrats." They clearly do not and will not move on the issues that are you say that you're fighting for because what their the the interest of their establishment is the complete opposite of your interests. And this has and this is not even addressing something like reparations. This is just addressing the fact that we have a completely messed up public education system in this country that's predicated on property taxes, which always goes to the rich. Then you talk about the fact that the privatization process has been going on for decades and decades now, which is why all of the so much of the public uh, funding that is supposed to go to public education in Florida ends up going to charter schools. You have these significant infrastructural problems and the Democrats are just as guilty of it as the Republicans are. They're oh, all yeah, not control. more so in, in some instances with, with certain issues. 100%. There are some issues that they're worse. And, you know, um, these these orgs, and I'll just say this really quick, and, and yeah. orgs, like, like the Sunrise Movement, you know, unfortunately, our revolution, Indivisible, Move On even started out grassroots. Yes. And like, um, before they were co-opted by the Democratic Party, what ends up happening, it's kind of like, you know, when corporations take over small business. Yeah. <laughs> the Democratic Party comes in, they kind of get in, and then they end up bringing people onto their boards and in leadership that are from Ivy League schools that have D.C. connections so that they can talk to politicians and they can get close. And then they start 
playing, you know, access politics. So instead of holding people accountable, which is the job of these organizations, yes. instead they play access politics so that they can keep fundraising off that person that supports them. Mm-hmm. And then they all, it goes flat. It completely loses steam. They push out all their on the ground organizing people. I and mean, we've heard it from everything from like, Problems with some of the BLM places, problems with some of the DSAs, you know, that are working to do better now. There's some decent ones now again. That's very chapter specific. Chapter specific. But at the national level, we often have this problem over and over and over again, just across the board. And it's because the the parties come in. They even do it to the right. I mean, that's what happened to the Tea Party. They were more libertarian. They weren't all like neo-Nazi when they first started and stuff. They were infiltrated by the extremist Christo-fascist and the Republican Party, and they they co-opted it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no question that as I, and, and to end the conversation here, it's all about being smart. We as a movement have to get smart. That is the biggest hurdle that we're dealing with right now. Creative too. Yes. Yeah. Recognizing, first of all, the idea that the left, the populist side, forget the Democratic Party. Democratic Party is the party of Wall Street and Silicon Valley. The fact of the matter is, one thing the GOP has done exceptionally well is capture small business across America. They believe that they are who is representing them. If there was an independent, because the thing that a lot of people who are trying to get the Democrat, the Democratic Party label is dead. There's a lot of people who don't seem to recognize that it's it's really dead. And so as a result, you're now in a situation where only an independent voice can be approaching small businesses and telling them that there is a better way. If you say it's the Democratic Party way, it's over. They, they won't listen, listen to you. So Absolutely right. recognizing that reality and knowing that that infrastructural change has to happen. And there are states that have those options. Washington State has it. California has it. Louisiana has it. And now Nevada, Alaska, and obviously Maine, and I believe New Hampshire to a degree does as well. So there are those types of changes that are out there. And we have to continue to working on those types of electoral reform. But the other thing that we have to do, and if people are really trying to be smart, about the 2024 election, especially those who are committed to voting for Biden. Remember this. He is the president of the goddamn United States of America. He has the power to actually make change right now. No, the the parliamentarian is way too strong. The parliamentarian. All right, guys, don't remember. We're our big parliamentarian for 2024, the people with the real power. But if we are to pretend in a a (laughs) fantasy world that the president actually is the most powerful person in the world, you know, like all the liberals would say when Trump Trump was was there. Right. So that's also how they that's what they do to skirt responsibility. Oh, yeah. So actually has the power to, let's say, do cancel student debt, cancel student debt, he uh, has the power to do that. decriminalize cannabis, expunge all nonviolent drug offender records. He can. Yep. He literally could end the war in Ukraine tomorrow if he if he really wanted to. Uh, he could obviously get Julian Assange uh, charges dropped. He could get absolutely Snowden's charges dropped. He could theoretically be pushing really legitimately for labor power in this country. As of course he proved with the railroad strike. That was it. That for was me. the end of that. That was the end for me. I will never I will not but for never him ever no chance. doubt for a second that he doesn't have the authority to do this. He does. Yeah. 
So if you're really concerned about Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, because let's be honest, either one of those two men are going to be the next president unless a miracle happens, then you need to be pushing the president, not pushing people like an Alicia Silverstone who says that she's supporting RFK. You need to be pushing the president saying, why the hell is everybody else not supporting you? You have to say, well, maybe you're not doing such a good job. Maybe these ask what their demands are, see what they're willing to do and then bring them over. I don't see any of that happening with comfortable liberals in this country. If they were willing to do that, then big change could happen. So that's how you have to treat it. It's one thing if you're running and you've not been elected into office and you can use that excuse. He is the president. There is no excuse. He has. We don't don't see anything from Congress at all. I blame them more than I do like the, the voters. Congress could push him, but they refuse to. They refuse to organize. They refuse to do anything. Well, we know why. Breaking point, the real strike. Yes. That was my, but you know what, the truth is there were multiple, but I felt like like within a month. And you don't like my music, 100%. And much like Obama made Bush's tax cuts permanent, Biden has essentially made Trump's tax cuts permanent. That, well, for me, it was Rail Strike and Willow Project pretty close back to back almost. Like it felt like within a month, it was like two things that were just non-negotiable for me. Like I just- it was- it was a way back. I mean, I was upset about oh, that, especially well, as immigration. We've been dealing with this bumblehead in the White House that can't seem to get past Mansion in the parliamentarian. Exactly. Yeah. But we we had this. He pushed within the um, DHS, which should be gone anyway. Why do we still have this thing? I don't know. What's the purpose of ICE? Oh. DHS is only eighteen years old. We don't need the damn thing. We didn't have it before. Why do we need a secondary apparatus, you know, other than intelligence that we've already got? We've already got the FBI. We've already got, you know, um, an intelligence apparatus. We don't need this. We've already got the CIA. But anyway, I digress. He, he, which is being used now in Cop City, his new terrorist language that went with people talking about COVID. Right. Um, and, and the ways to control communications also has this additional very vague terrorist language in it where they can charge American citizens with terrorism and they are using it across the country to do it. And they've already arrested almost two dozen people in Atlanta at, at Stop Cop City under this charge. Organizers for yeah. nothing. By the way, Rodrigo, I by no means agree with that we should push Biden to the left. I couldn't care less. I don't think he's going to the left. I don't think that should be our priority. I think we should accept he's a Republican and move on. Yes. You're an optimist. All I'm saying is when somebody asks you, why are you not voting for Joe? It's pretty simple. This is why. You have all the reasons to say he has the authority to do this. He said he was going to do X, Y, and Z as president. He's done none of it. He clearly is an extremely vulnerable incumbent who is likely to lose. Mm -hmm. So why not do things for the people that you need in order to win? Because he doesn't really care one way or the other. He said he was going to be a one-term president. And And he sure as hell And let me tell you, of all the things he said, that's the only one I believe, that he will be a one-term president. I believe him on that. Zena. Unfortunately, we've rallied. We've we've rallied. There's 10,000 rallies in Washington, D.C. every year. We've marched in the streets. We've taken to the streets. Yep. We've raised hell. We've protested. We're going to have to think outside of the box other than 
Love you, Peter. <laughs> We're going to have to think outside of the box. Other than just pushing these representatives, we have to push them by doing ourselves, I think. Yeah. Whatever it takes on the ground ourselves, build our own damn co-ops, support our own small local businesses. Hell, let's be hippies and build us a bunch of damn communities where we have housing and we can take care of each other and we can tell the FOA to go F off, the, a- the HOAs to go F off. Those are the kinds of things that I feel like we could be doing, but I yeah. feel like we're so stuck in the grind. They they have us so deep that it's like, we need you to do everything that I feel like if we get outside that box and we start doing those things, but hell, I don't know how to start up. So right now I'm just talking, just blowing smoke because, I, you know, no, it's important, just but wishing and dreaming, right? No, building community and building coalition. And that's what we do basically every day. Like that's the gist of what we're doing. And the more we do that and build an infrastructure will eventually lend itself to allowing for something like a general strike. See, see, the goal for me is you build up enough community, enough coalition, enough yeah. of a social safety net, because we're not going to get one otherwise. So what we need to be doing is building up our own social safety nets so that people can strike. And billionaires aren't going to give us that money. For no, us. no. So that's when I think of organizing for me, it really is based on how do we support working people to be treated fairly and justly. And the only way to do that is through organizing and speaking out for labor. And it isn't necessarily union involved. It's just working people. And I don't, and we have to build community coalition networks so that people can afford to strike. Um, And we need to get to the point where we have enough safety so that even in right to work states, they can tell their employers to fuck off. That's right. That's that's my thought is we need to get to where people can actually take a stand and not worry about not ever having a job or health care. Yeah. Amen to that. Zaina, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending time. You guys so keep in touch and uh, yeah. come join my community. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to get a farm, you know. Oh, that's what I'm trying to do. I want to buy some land in Asheville and I'm going to have a couple different little rentals, have a community farm on it. I want to have chickens. Where are you going to be the next six That's what I want. I want to teach people how to can and garden, Jen. I want to come and then teach them how to like can. I'd be so happy. Where people can learn. I'm going to be in Ash. I'm in Asheville every summer. I'm going to be there. I'm leaving on Saturday. I'll be there for six weeks. And basically that's where I'm trying to create a village, my little village. And I, my whole goal is to live in a way that I don't need to drive anywhere and that I live in a co-op with people. I'm totally happy having chickens. Um, and just in a way where it's sustainable. My goal in life is to be at a net neutral with the world. My personal self. That's my goal. So that is the life that I want. Well, I think, what is Louisville, like six hours from Asheville or something like that? Oh, I don't know. But it's in, it's in, it's in the vicinity. But I love the idea of building. That's what I'm trying to, that's my goal. Well, if I come across any grants, because that's what I'm looking for right now, are grants um, for, for this type of thing. If I come across any, I'll send them your way too. Please do. Oh, exciting. Very cool. <laughs> Thank you, Zaina. All right. Bye, guys. It's so good talking to you. Always a pleasure, Z. I'll bye. see you. Great lady. I love her. So She's adorable. I mean, I, you know, look, there's a lot of insight there. Now, I wasn't aware of the thing about that they're not necessarily even officially a party versus a party. Like, people don't realize that. He that. hasn't actually officially declared. A- well, that, but so people pretty- don't understand that when you're dealing with things that involve the FEC, 
there are so many little rules and regulations and things. So somebody can say I'm a party, but that might not be what they're filed as. So if they're technically filed as a PAC, then that is not the same thing. Like, I don't understand. I don't know enough about that. But if you like our content and you appreciated our message tonight that we're not just ragging on third parties, we're trying no. to be strategic. For I'm ragging on all parties. $5 a month. You can become a patron of our wonderful channel. You get the Lulu sticker as an intro for those who are considerably more generous. But of course, uh, we're running out of these bad boys, I believe. The I think I've got one more. So for whoever is the next. But one, I think I need to send it to Big Dumb Animal. So I think Big, that, Big Dumb Animal, I think Big Dumb Animal because he upped his nice um, Patreon membership and he needs to get one of these. So for anybody who uh, becomes a $10 a month patron, we will. I, we don't have anything in particular right now. Look, you join, you help us, you'll get the Lulu sticker and our undying love and appreciation. Now, of course, if you do become a $25 a month patron, then you get the jersey. You get the generational change jersey. And actually, we will at some point be able to offer some t shirts again. Yes. And so for anybody who. Is, we have these again. Yes. These wonderful, really. They're just purple t shirts, then they're not even they're the great. same kind. They're kind of the. What are they called? Distressed? It's distressed. Well, that is. Distressed yeah. purple. Heather. It's Heather. It's Heather. I say distressed. Guys, tomorrow the Gen Z report is going to be on. Um, they are actually going to be talking about like the problem with like uh, pink washing and the and faux cultural diversity and all of that bullshit. What, what pink washing is? Um... I think what they're referring to is like um, how Disney like they act like they're all LGBT friendly. Like they act like they're that, but it really oh, isn't. Yeah. They're that. No, like like the, the, the virtue signaling, um, just that kind of versus companies that actually, I think do have real diversity. Yes. Like that where it's not just a, like a signal. And if you are so inclined, if you do not want to put your credit card on the grid, you can go to dollar sign gen change at cash app, make any contribution you like. Anything and all that goes to our show is to transform politics into service. We do. Our, we do. The truth is, is that I donate money where it's needed on behalf of us. These are homeless care packs that we hand They're out. They're hygiene regular. packs that I hand out mm -hmm. regular, but we, we do all sorts of cool things yes. with the money. Basically, if there's somebody that needs money in a sense that like we sent money to East Palestine when that disaster happened, like just we just different things. Recently, there was a flood in Miami and we sent money down to help some of the recovery efforts down there for people like just we have a people great who need. We have a great slate coming up next week. Oh, I thought that was funny that she mentioned Lee. Yeah. Well, that'll be an interesting conversation. So we're, Lee Camp is going to come on. And I've been wanting that. We've had him on before. I like Lee. He's a great guy. But he recently did a trip to China. And, China. And I, I've, I really want to know, like, some of the things that he got to see and do there. I'd love to go. It's not a typical thing. There's a lot of different rules and restrictions and whatever. And I'm, so I'm looking forward to hearing that when from I him. When I hear China, I want to eat Chinese food. That's all I can think of. But so we're going to – and what else do we – what's on Monday? Well, Monday is Lee Camp. Oh, okay. I thought that was Wednesday. No. Okay. Wednesday, Wednesday is our good friend Mike Figueredo of The Humanist Report. So I he will be him. here. Uh, obviously, we'll Mike. talk about uh, – Pride Month. Um, we'll talk Yay about Pride. what's going on in the Pacific Northwest as well as what's just going on on the West Coast. Uh, but there's always lots. The anti-LGBTQ thing is it's getting old. It's 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 well it's getting old. It's old, but it's still a problem. It is okay. I, and I'm hearing the same rhetoric, and I can't. And I want to be very clear: the same rhetoric that is being used about transgender people is the exact same verbatim that they were saying about gay, gay people, people. Sure. 
verbatim, same thing. You could actually go back. They're, they're recycling Anita Bryant's uh, <laughs> speeches. Um, they were wrong then, they're wrong now. And it's really a distraction. But unfortunately, the trans people are being collateral damage and that's unacceptable. So while we see it as a distraction, real people are being affected, okay? I don't want to get involved in what people and parents' uh, healthcare decisions for gender-affirming care for their children. It's none of my damn business. That's hurting people. Yeah. So yes, it's a distraction. And I get that. But we have to stand up for these people. That's not okay. So you know what they're trying to do is distract us that we can't focus on the other things. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. Anything to distract you from the fact that corporate special interests have taken over our government. And that goes for both sides. No, that's true. They can't really target blacks and gays anymore. It's not, is it? So they're going after the most vulnerable people. And it's not acceptable. It's never been acceptable. And I can do both. So that's the thing. I can simultaneously stand up for trans people, fight for my lady rights back, which apparently I'm not really entitled to in Florida. And I can also stand up for labor and fight for like economic justice. I can do all of that. We're also planning to have on Matt Orfala, who, as you guys probably know, does some really great videos. He did another great one today that dropped regarding the exact same rhetoric that was used between 2016, the election being stolen and 2020, the election being stolen and almost completely across the board, the same stuff being said over and over again. So make sure you tune into that. Last thing before we go, were you a fan of the Iron Sheik when he was a wrestler? I mean, I've seen him. The Iron Sheik is the wrestler that- Like live. Like he is the wrestler- You know how used to go. Yes, well, Hulk Hogan, when he won- the World Wrestling Heavyweight <laughs> Championship, the Iron Sheik is who he defeated. Now, I don't think there's any video of that. Um, there is a- uh, No, you, you don't need to play. Don't play it because I think that it screws up our thing. Okay, well, yeah, let's- All right, so I'll avoid <laughs> that, but he had some really great matches. He was quite the character and the last- The thing- Iron Sheik. That would be so Islamophobic now. <laughs> like, I don't even think he would get away with that character now. The last thing that uh, the Iron Sheik said on his Twitter feed before he passed, literally within hours before he passed, F those wildfires. So he clearly definitely went out, um, you know, with the with the right kind of message. I remember that, Nikolai. Yes, it was the Iron Sheik, and I, you know, they would do tag team. I remember. I told you, I, yeah, I told you that I did meet Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, <laughs> and they, but they were actually going against each other that night. It yeah. was totally fun, but yeah, yeah. I mean, back in the day, I don't watch any of it now. Like when I see the advertisements for Raw now, I'm just like, I don't, I have no interest in that. Now, wrestling had two peaks. It had a peak in the mid to late 80s, and it had a peak in the late 90s, early 2000s, led by Hulk Hogan in the 80s, and then, of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and you could say The Rock um, in, in those particular And yet it still always has following. It always has it does, its following. But it's not what it, I mean, it doesn't have the crossover appeal that it once had. That's oh, not, no, but I, I mean, I remember watching, like, I remember watching a cage match with Dusty Rhodes and Manny Hernandez when it was the, and it was, it was before there was no WWF. Uh, there was, it was. NWA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was the NWA. Well, I remember that. came along, bought it all up, and uh, they and figured out a way. You want to hear politically incorrect? Mm. One of the pre-matches, the t- and I think it might have been the time that I saw Hulk Hogan. Was on it a diaper I- match? No, oh, midget good. wrestling. Yeah, no, I know, but yeah, I've seen that. Terrible, terrible. Like, and I remember at the time thinking, 
this doesn't seem right. <laughs> like that doesn't seem, I mean, it was, it was so, I, it, it was very like, um, what, what's the word? Uh, they were really, I don't even know what one the word thing, is. One thing that is very unique about the Iron Sheik is that he not only was a great character, of course, we all remember when he was really in the spotlight heavy as the manager of Sergeant Slaughter during the Gulf Sergeant War. Slaughter. And then, of course, you had Hogan versus Slaughter at WrestleMania 7, which was a very big deal in the backdrop of the Gulf War at the time. But what's so unique about the Iron Sheik is simply this. He died at the age of 81. He lived a full life. Most wrestlers, especially oh. the big ones, they don't live a full life at all. Well, they die very young. Andre the Giant, I believe, was well. That's not it. That's not an example. He's, he's not a good example because no. he, 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 he had, had gigantism. Gigantism, yes. Gigantism. So yes, so that's not a good example. But a lot of these wrestlers, especially the ones who abuse steroids or have drug addiction problems. Just plus the the body pain, you know, oh, it's, yeah. see, the thing is, I always have known that it's fake in the sense of the outcomes and stuff like it's performative. I've always known that. But the athleticism is a thousand percent real. Oh, yeah. So so those Absolutely. people are really like their bodies take a beating. And I've also noticed, interestingly enough, the physiques and the way that wrestlers are has changed significantly over the years from yes. like the days of like Dusty Rhodes to what they look like now. Now they look kind of juiced. Back then, they just looked like big guys. No, they were big guys to enhance their size and deal with the, the pain and the, the, the difficulties. A lot of painkillers. Yes. The, well, it depends on how they were wrestling. You see, it got to the point where Bret Hart and has probably always been my favorite wrestler. He was always heavily critical of, of Hulk Hogan in particular, not just because of how he did business, but because he couldn't wrestle. I was a Rowdy Roddy Piper fan. Roddy, now, Rod, he was a great wrestler. Loved him. Now, unfortunately, Roddy Loved would him. be a great example of a person. With his kilt. Who, yeah. He now Roddy really put himself through hell. Died and, young. And he died at the age of 61. And so, yeah. Now, when he did an interview with Howard Stern years later, I think he indicated as much that, yeah, I'm gonna die young. I know I am. I mean, I remember and seeing the movie The Wrestler. Did you see that? That was a great film. It's a great movie, Which but it really shows you what what that lifespan is it's 100%. a very very short and painful lifespan which and i look at people like obviously people like john cena and the rock it's like that's a whole different thing because now you've crossed over and it's just not the same that they're not in that category of like working wrestlers and it always brings back the type of memories when i realize how much it's a, you know yeah this hates me to say how much you know, Springsteen has changed over the years, but what he did <laughs> Obama. For, but what he did for the wrestler, what he did specifically for Mickey Rourke, you know, that was a I don't remember if the wrestler won the Academy Award for Best Original Song, but Bruce gave he it was nominated for Best Song at the Academy Awards and across, you know, the Golden Globes and all that stuff. He gave that song to Mickey Rourke for nothing. He let him play that song in that movie for nothing. I mean I wish that that meant more to me. Based on his recent actions, quite honestly. And and when you want to talk about how much those stars, those those mega music stars, end up charging to have their songs put in film, this is know? somebody who basically just was okay with people having to pay seven hundred dollars to come see him. Don't know what happens to somebody at that late stage of life decides that that's okay. Uh, you know, Travers, it's funny you bring up the, the warrior. I remember him. You know, Bret Hart would say that the warrior was even worse as a wrestler than Hogan was. But I remember a duo called the Road Warriors. Yes. Well, that was uh, the, the Legion of Doom. 
Okay. Because like, I remember like yeah. some of these characters. I, I remember Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Well, the thing that was really prominent in the 80s in particular. Jake the you, Snake. You know, you know, I'm sorry. Oh, he had well, to do a GoFundMe for his medical bills. Yeah. And yeah, well, J- well, the person who's really helped out, if you remember Diamond Dallas Page, he's a huge advocate for yoga. Oh, yeah. And just telling people, look, painkillers is not the answer. You need to be in touch with your body. You need to be stretching. You need to be you know, honing, you know, your inner, inner peace and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yoga is a good thing. It is. Very good. And so he's helped a lot of people out. Who she's supporting. She got a sense. She never, probably she wouldn't say right now because probably there isn't anybody that she supports right now. Mm. And the truth is there's really nobody that I support right now. There's just degrees. It's just if the primary was stuck in front of me right now, just the primary, and I had to vote within my Democratic Party. Yeah, that's RFK. I, at this RFK. moment, I would vote for RFK right Give us now. Some other choices, please. right? But but again, that's I'm not a supporter. I just there's no way I'm voting bottom for line, Joe. You've got a, your bottom line, you've got a primary. It's happening, and I right. vote and I vote in every election. Well, that's the thing. I'm so technically like, a Democrat. Oh God, I have to vote not, in the primary. It's not a primary that's happening, and it's like no, a primary is happening. You have to accept that reality, and people are going to vote. So that's that. Uh, oh. I don't watch the female ref. I, but, and here's the thing why it's nothing personal about any of it. Hmm. But when I was growing up, that wasn't a thing. So at the age, it's just like I wasn't, I didn't have a basketball team or a hockey team. We only had the offense. We, there weren't female wrestlers that had any. So I didn't grow up with that. And now I don't follow it. So now, even though there are and all the power to them, I never had that was never available to me. When I was a kid, there weren't female wrestling. We didn't have, there was no women wrestling until like Sylvester Stallone's mom started it. Like in whatever year that, I was already older. I that think, was his mother. Yeah. Jackie Stallone is who basically I think started getting the women into the wrestling. Yes, I think they're, yeah. Well, in South Jersey. Uh, I, I just know point. it was her mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever, but yeah. McGrady, what you have to understand is that you can't really be concerned because we kind of already know what's going to happen in 24 at the high, at the top level. What we need to be focused on are the down ballot races, especially when it comes to ballot issues like here in Florida, what you should be thinking about when you have a really great ballot initiative is whether or not you have candidates that can run by basically canvassing with the ballot initiative and letting people know, Hey, I'm running for office for your state rep. By the way, if you could, I would love to have your support and please sign the petition and they'll remember that. That is how you do it. There are different ways to really get to the electorate. And name ID, that's a big part of the- That's so funny. I was just thinking about Randy Machaman Savage and that he had Elizabeth. And the fact that he had Elizabeth. And that was a very unique thing. Yeah. The fact that we remember that and she stood out. It wasn't like other people were really bringing women- characters if you will into that wrestling world and now there's a whole bunch there's some chick with a giant braid that totally you have to go and watch my interviews from back in the day there's just these great cream of the crop cup of who are you thinking you are randy the macho man no you're crossing over into a little bit of jesse jesse is still there (laughs) oh my god but really really fun stuff so I used to go. It was the th- I think it was like the third Wednesday of every month. James L. Knight Center in Miami. My dad would take me to the wrestling. It was great. We always sat really close, so it was just fun. Yeah, and, it, and we I right, and I always knew that it wasn't real, but I also appreciated that it was just fun. And but I give you a chop right across. The I know it was just fun, but I was never one of the people. But there were a lot of people that really thought it was real, and I remember oh, my dad and I would still real to me. Damn I remember it. we would not laugh at them, but it was always so surprising. And like because I appreciated, even though yeah. I knew it was 
the well, story. Well, no, there was a great that video. I watched Days of Our Lives. Remember Tosh? Remember Tosh Point? Oh, remember that silly show? Those yeah. on Comedy Central. So there was a great bit that this wrestling fan who was like saying, and it's still real to me, and he starts crying. <laughs> and Tosh brings him on, and he does this whole shtick with the million dollar man Ted DiBiase. It was great. They thought it, he was arguing for the reality. Yes, of the it was oh, so good. You know, what? did you ever see that movie Wrestling With My Family a few years ago? No. It's a great movie, guys. If you have an opportunity, I think I see it like rotating on the TV now. It's called Wrestling With My Family. And um, it was great. And it's a, and it's a smaller movie, Glow. The, the, that, was the, that was Jackie Stallone's thing was Glow. Yes. The, it was like the gorgeous ladies of wrestling or like that. And um, yeah. All righty. Appreciate you all. Smash the like button, share, do all these wonderful things. Let people who have uh, predispositions about how, how, where we stand regarding the people's party and what's going on. No, I think we have very nuanced, honest, strategic viewpoint about what is going to be the most effective way for us to move forward. All the love to Dr. West. Thank you so much to Zaina and Renee coming on the podcast this evening. A wonderful, wonderful audience with lots of very insightful conversation. We appreciate you guys very much. And only one mean troll. Make sure to tune in tomorrow night for the Gen Z Report at 9 p.m. with the crew. We'll see you Monday. Jen will be live from Asheville. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.